we are who we've been waiting for. If you believe that, it's like, no one's coming to be the hero. Like, we get to be the hero of our own story. We get to be the one that says, I actually want to go left instead of right. The thing that gets me so fired up about imposter syndrome is it prevents people from doing the really big thing that they love and often sharing their talent, their superpower, their gift with other people. Welcome to Community Good, the podcast that shares powerful lessons to help you navigate the life you want. I'm your host, Marnie Andes. In this episode, you'll hear from Teresa Sandy, author of the book, Find Your Fierce, Interrupt Imposter Syndrome and Own Your Success. She has seen imposter syndrome show up in her work with clients, as well as in her own life. And she shares more about what it is, why you might be experiencing it, and ways you can manage it. And now, my conversation with Teresa Sandy. Well, thanks, Teresa, so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am too. Well, I wanted to to kickstart it in this way, which is, I mean, obviously shared with the audience already, your book, Find Your Fears. And really what I'd like to get into is not so much why did you write a book, I want you to share, why is it that you wrote this book? I wrote this book because, as you know, I spent 25 years corporate America coaching a lot of really amazing up-and-coming future leaders. And I kept seeing this thing pop up over and over again that was um, maybe a little more prevalent with the women I was talking with, who I was coaching, um, that they feared there was a shoe that was going to drop. There was some, uh, you know, big thing that was going to happen that was going to expose them as not as good as everyone thought they were, or they were good at something up until this point. But now all of a sudden, like I could do that job, but I can't do this next job. And it was so perplexing to me because of course the, these were the top people, like top talent, top amazing people who were really successful by all accounts. But it was in those moments of success that they were most doubting themselves. And it seemed so counterintuitive. And when I would go and try to research or find resources for people I was coaching, I came upon this terminology called imposter syndrome. Um, and it was, when I would play it back to my coaching clients and say, Hey, have you ever heard of this? Now, mind you, this was 12, 15 years ago when it wasn't as prevalent or talked about as much. There was always kind of two responses. One was this sigh of relief. Oh, yes, that's exactly what I'm feeling. This is amazing that you found something that articulates how I feel. But the second response was great. What do I do about it? And that's where I'd get really frustrated because when I would do research, there, there was a lot written about imposter syndrome and what is it and how do we define it, but there wasn't much out there about, okay, what do we do about it? And that's where I got really passionate and just started talking to people and documenting, you know, over the course of eight to 10 years, literally documenting. So this worked, that didn't work, right? And there were stories and there was so much knowledge that I gained from just working with these amazing leaders that I wanted to share that because I thought this is this is how I can help other people 
on a, on a broader scale, not just the person that's sitting right in front of me, because imposter syndrome is such a prevalent thing that really successful people deal with. Right. Well, it was in, when you said that it wasn't a prevalent term that had been used, you know, having worked in corporate America myself as well, I probably heard the term used in a way to describe somebody suffering from it, probably as recently as five years ago. I mean, that's when I started hearing it and you started seeing things written about it. But I think when I heard it, it was in the context and it was actually describing a male. Mm. It was a female that was telling me that what she saw was his, what was actually holding him back was that he suffered from imposter syndrome. And there really wasn't any other context around that. So I was like, I don't know what that means. I mm, Does that mean he's not good enough at it? Does it mean he doesn't think he's good enough at it? So I would love for you to share what is imposter syndrome since it is circulating a ton right now? Yes, absolutely. So imposter syndrome actually comes from um, a study that was done in the late 70s by um, two female professors. It was uh Clance and Imes in 1978, they were doing some work with PhD students. And in their PhD cohorts, they started to notice that um, the women, more so than the men, were articulating some fears that they had. Um, things like, now, despite all of the same, you know, academic accolades, uh, letters of recommendation, great research that the different students were doing, the women were showing up in a way and saying things like, I must have just gotten lucky to get into this program. Or, man, I must have charmed the entrance exam people. Um, I bet the first choice candidates didn't make it into the program, and that's how I got this spot. Whereas what Clance and Imes noticed in their male candidates for PhD was that they were saying things like, I worked really hard on this research. I'm really proud of it. Um, I do deserve to be here because I have something important to say. So at first they labeled it imposter phenomenon where they were observing these students that were um, for some reason, not believing their success, not believing that they were good enough to be there. And they thought maybe it was a male female thing. What they later came to understand was that it wasn't anything that the women were doing that was wrong or that the men were doing that was right. It was their orientation towards why the success was coming to them. And so what they saw was that more and more of the women were attributing their success to external factors and they were not internalizing the things that they had done that got them there. So they were saying, I got lucky. Someone gave me this spot. Whereas the men's orientation was, I worked hard, therefore I earned it. So when they first started this, you know, they said, um, it's so interesting that people are persisting in this belief about whether or not their success was internally generated. So that sparked all kinds of additional resource or excuse me, research about um, why is it that women's orientation might be externally focused and men's orientation is more internally focused? And of course, that feeds into all kinds of, you know, gender studies and things like that around women being very communal, men being a bit more individualistic. Again, does that make one right or one wrong? 
but you start peeling back these layers of the onion to say, well, where does that start, right? Is that nature? Is that nurture? Why do uh, certain populations feel that way and others don't? I then picked up that work and I applied what I observe in a corporate setting. And I know your audience isn't necessarily all corporate people, but a lot of my examples are corporate oriented. And the thing about corporate structures is that they are still pretty much um, white male dominated, if you will, um, prevalent white male leadership. And all the rules of engagement and definitions of success and what good looks like is, of course, rooted in the last example that we had. And so in corporate America, that, that gets perpetuated. What that creates is someone who is not like that majority role model, right? So if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're someone who is in a minority, you're going to look at that and go, I'm not sure I fit in. I'm not sure that I am good enough wait a minute, how did I get here? And so so it is sort of this um, interesting snowball of things that happens. So it isn't that women experience it more than men or that men never experience it. In fact, your example is spot on. You know, there's some updated statistics around this. 82% of all people have said that they've experienced imposter syndrome at some point in their careers, in their lives. And so, you know, why is that, that we tend to attribute it to women? Well, women tend to talk about it a little bit more. Um, women will name it. And there is almost sort of a misperception that imposter syndrome is more about women than it is about men. And so then a weird byproduct of that is that more women talk about it, even though that's not an actual fact. So, you know, it's a really... Um, I found it interesting that imposter syndrome started as imposter phenomenon. I almost wonder if it'll go back to imposter phenomenon at some point, because it's really perplexing that these people are so successful and yet they persist in this belief that it wasn't something they did that brought them this success. Well, I mean, just even the concept of a syndrome, mm -hmm. you know, I think, um, I mean, I, I recalled for the longest time and, and you and I have done similar work throughout our careers and I started out in secondary education. I was supposed to be a middle school, high school teacher. That's what I was going to do. Mm. I did it for about a year and a half and decided to go get my master's degree. I still <laughs> wanted to teach, but I wanted to do other things. And I remember Teresa for the longest time. I would say to people, especially as I would get bigger roles or do more things, I'd say, I'm not even supposed to be here. Like, I'm not even supposed to be here. I was supposed to be a middle school teacher. And I don't even know why I said those things. I mean, I think part of it was I actually believed that. I thought, I, I, I'm not sure I should be here. And then there was another part of me that was like, but is that part of being like gracious or being mm. grateful for where I've come? And I just... You know, I wonder, I, I'm sure people, whether they're in corporate or not, can say there's a time in my life when I felt like maybe I shouldn't be here or maybe I'm not good enough to do whatever it is. But I'm just wondering, like, how do you even start to diagnose it for yourself? Like, how does it show up? Yeah, well, and 
you know, Clance and Imes later, like I said, their first studies came out in the late 70s. And they later came to sort of lament the fact that it had turned into the term imposter syndrome because they don't feel it's, and I don't either, it's not a diagnosis. It's not a label. It's not something that someone should say, Marnie's experiencing imposter syndrome. That's for us to determine. And if it's a helpful framework for us to make sense of, you know, how we're feeling or an experience that we're having, then great. But it was never intended to be this sort of label or thing that you need to recover from. Um, and it's just fascinating to me that you mentioned something about, is it that I really don't believe that I was supposed to be here? Like, I thought I was supposed to be a teacher. I'm not sure what I'm doing. But it's it's this if I say I'm proud of my work, I worked really hard and I deserve to be here, am I bragging? And this gets into this whole thing about like what's acceptable. Am I, am I not being humble if I own my success? Am I being you know cocky if I say I'm good at something? And that gets really confusing for people because we get messages all day, every day in terms of how we're supposed to act and what's appropriate. And although I think it's getting better, um, you know, I don't personally have children, but I have a lot of friends that do. And there's a real concerted effort to make sure that, you know, little girls and little boys get equal messages. And I think it is different now than it was when I was a little kid, but now, as you know, a 50 something person, my brother and I will sit around and, you know, we'll talk about our childhood or we'll talk about our experiences. And just recently we were we were sharing the fact that um, our parents really did a great job of telling us and instilling in us that we could actually go and be whoever we want to be and be successful if we work really hard at it. And that's a real gift. And I do think a lot of parents now, especially, are really trying to instill that confidence in their kids, whether it's a boy or a girl. And I didn't get overt messages like, well, you should be, you know, girly and soft. And, you know, my brother should be out there and aggressive and rough and tumble. It was actually pretty balanced. You know, we were both told you can do anything, you can be anything. But as we started talking one night, he said, well, yeah, but, you know, mom and dad also fortunately told us that it's okay. Sometimes people are going to disagree with our ideas and it's okay. If you, you know, ruffle a few feathers, you got to go after what you want. You're going to be a leader. People are going to follow you. It's okay. Sometimes you're going to be dissent, you know, you're going to have some dissent. And I was sort of speechless because I said, I honestly, I didn't hear those parts. I don't know if they were said or not. What I remember was things like Teresa, Sometimes you're going to have to go along to get along. You're not going to want to pick every battle. Um, learn as many skills as you can. Be a Swiss army knife because then you can be helpful for anyone who needs help. None of those messages that my brother heard or I heard are bad. They're not bad messages. But if you fast forward now, you know, 30 years into the future, 35 years into the future, and you're you know, working at a job and something doesn't go as planned, which feels like it's every other day. <laughs> something doesn't go as planned. <laughs> My natural orientation is to say, what more could I have done? What didn't I do right? And my brother said, well, his orientation is to say, yeah, sometimes things don't work out and that's just how it goes. 
And so he kind of, you know, shakes it off a little easier and perhaps even more accurately. And I hold on to it, right? I take it in and I go, oh my gosh, I wasn't enough. I needed to do more. And so, you know, does that come from messaging that my parents inadvertently gave to us? You know, maybe, but that's why imposter syndrome is such a complicated thing. Like where it comes from for you is different than where it comes from for me or for someone else that's experiencing it. So while there isn't one thing that got us here to experience it, you can imagine there isn't one thing that is a silver bullet that sort of makes it all better for us. Right. Well, you said something, well, so many things, um, childhood, it's interesting how you shared that because I kept thinking, I don't know if I heard really particular messages growing up to be a leader, to be you know, forthright that I could do those things. I didn't hear that I couldn't do those things from mm-hmm. both of my parents. Now, my dad was always very vocal about be opinionated, your opinion matters, be willing to voice, you know, say those things, but also be willing to learn so that you're also not just sharing something random or yeah. what I find, you know, too many times you have an opinion, but it doesn't really have anything that comes behind it. There's, there's nothing that, as to why you're saying those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I do know that when I had been in consulting before and remember when I was going to make that change, there was a sentiment of being concerned for me. Are you sure that that's the right thing for you to do? And and neither one of my siblings that I'm aware of have ever done consulting, you know, 100% like I did. And I have both a brother and a sister. Mm. Um, so maybe there's, maybe there's some risk aversion. I, I, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> but I do feel like other men that I grew up with or other boys that I grew up with, you know, if they were to do something like that, it was like, oh my gosh, yes, you should do that. You absolutely should go for it. So I don't, I think there probably is a ton of stuff from childhood, but I, I think about, I do think about my audience and I do think about the fact that there's a lot of people listening that are either interviewing right now. They might be thinking about interviewing. And I actually have worked with people for a number of years just around the interviewing and a lot of women in particular. And you said something about, is that being cocky or am I saying too many things? And I'm, I'm thinking those are questions I get all the time from women saying, well, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be overly robust about these things or boastful about these things. And I'm thinking you're in an interview, you're trying to sell someone as to why they should hire you or why they should pick you or why. And I just wonder how, I mean, if we were just to say, like, let's set aside childhood, we might have to, that might have to be another part, but what do you think it is? That's not just corporate America, but just in general for women. I mean, what yeah. is that? Where's that coming from? Well, like I said, it's 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 complicated because you're right. It's not just about upbringing or your childhood, but think about you know norms in our society. What is acceptable? You know, how is a woman supposed to be ladylike, or a man is supposed to be more aggressive? And you know, we've all heard this thing, right? You know, yes, okay, woman, you should be assertive, but don't be aggressive. You know, you should speak up, but not too much. You should voice your opinion, but don't be too wordy, right? Like there's all these kind of mixed messages about, it's almost like trying to thread a needle. Like, how can I be just enough of something, but not too much? 
And I think that's where, you know, um, often people will say things like, oh, don't get in your head, Marnie, you know, you're, you're overthinking it or whatever. And, and I have a lot of empathy um, for anyone who's ever been told that because it's like, there's a reason I'm overthinking it. There's actually a reason behind why I'm trying to stay within these lines because society and maybe it's cultural norms, right? Like different cultures, different, um, there's, there's like rules of engagement so that we don't get cast out of the net or out of the nest, right? We need to be sort of, we want safety. We want to feel like we're in a community and the challenge, now I'm going to take it to corporate America. The challenge is the rules of that, um, environment are set by a certain predominant style. And so I always say to women, you know, I understand why you're feeling this way because you're trying to fit into a norm that wasn't really built for you, quite frankly. You know, it was built for someone that probably looks and acts and has a very different experience than what you had. So what I try to do when we talk about imposter syndrome or set that aside, even as a label, just someone who's getting ready to interview and they're freaking out about it, right? It's to be really empathetic and to say, there's actually a reason you feel this way. Inadvertently, it's by design, right? The ecosystems aren't necessarily set up for us to show up and be really fierce. And so it's okay that you feel this way. What's not okay is that you let it derail you, hold you back from what you want, not speak your truth, not find your voice, right? And that's why when I named my book, it is called Find Your Fierce, colon, you know, interrupt imposter syndrome and own your success. Because if we're not mindful about what's happening, why am I experiencing this? Where does it come from? Then we can't even begin to say, wait a minute, let me course correct that. Let me think about how I might want to quiet that inner critic or that voice that's telling me I'm not good enough or you're a fraud or whatever it is, right? Um, and then actually start rewriting the neural pathways in our brain so that it's not so acute if it pops up again. But that's in and of itself is really confusing. You know, so um, when I wrote the book, I actually used this thing called the framework and I spell it differently. It's, it's F-R-A-I-M work. The word AIM is an acronym in the middle. And the reason I do that is twofold. One is the acronym explains awareness, right? A in AIM, awareness. What is imposter syndrome? Where does it come from? Why do we experience? What is it not, right? Now we have all this awareness of how it shows up. The I is interruption. So in that moment, I'm prepping for an interview. This voice pops up. Who do you think you are? <laughs> you might not be good enough for this job. Don't be too braggy, but make sure you share your accomplishments, all the things we just talked about. How do we quiet that voice in the moment so it doesn't derail us so that we can get through and be successful at this thing that we're trying to do right now in the moment? But that's short term. It's like a Band-Aid. You know, it'll be OK. It'll stop the bleeding, but it doesn't actually fix the issue. The M in AIM is momentum. And that's the deeper work, right? That's really understanding why do I feel this way? Where does it come from for me? Do I need to think about things differently? Do I need to actually be more mindful? Maybe I do need to build some skills, you know, whatever it is, right? But we're getting really clear on the truth, not what that voice is telling us. 
And that's the longer term, deeper work that sets you up for success. Not that you'll never feel this way again, but when it does pop up in the future, it's not going to knock you down. But the other reason why I put the acronym AIM in my framework is it's an intention, aiming for what you want, looking to the future, looking forward, not agonizing over what wasn't perfect in the past or what I didn't do yet. It's really kind of keeping ourselves, our shoulders squared up directly to the future that we want for ourselves and allowing ourselves to go there. So um, yeah, something that you said just kind of sparked me to want to want to share that as I think it could be maybe a helpful way to organize the complexity of what imposter syndrome is, is just to break it down into those three parts, right? Awareness, interruption, and momentum. Okay, good. Now, what do we do about those things? Right. Well, and I think that's the difference. I mean, I, I loved your book and I loved all the examples that you provided. And interestingly enough, I mean, even though a lot of it is coming from corporate America, I mean, I see it day to day. And so yeah. it, it will be very easy. It's a very trans, it has, it's very easy to translate it into that. And it's very easy to see yourself in that. Or if you've experienced something similar, Maybe it was, you know, in a community network that you've been part of, or maybe it was something where you volunteered. I mean, these are the kinds of things, or you've thought about this business you want to start, but it's, you're, you're holding yourself back. And mm-hmm. I think about, you know, you and I, it, where we're at in our careers, I think about the fact that, okay, so we've, we've come to this awareness. We're not <laughs> immune to it though. Right. Um, we talked a little bit about even before we started the recording, when we were just talking, you know, like. And this is not something that you just say, I checked the box. I don't suffer from that or I won't. But I wonder like, how do we help? And since we are talking more around women, how do we help them earlier? Like I keep mm-hmm. thinking like the 20 something that's listening right now. What what yeah. do you tell her? Yeah. I have a story that I tell in the book about, um, cause I often get asked, is this a generational thing? Like, do we think imposter syndrome won't exist or women won't suffer from this 10 years from now? Like, is that something that only people of a certain, you know, age persuasion are experiencing or, you know, now like schools and messages to young people are are catching up and it's more equitable. And so therefore we won't have this, you know, imposter syndrome strikes at points of high achievement. So, it's the moment that you actually accomplish something that our brain kicks in and tells us, but maybe that was a fluke. Maybe that was a one-time thing. Maybe I can't replicate that. Um, And if we don't know that, and then we kind of believe the hype of what our brain is telling us, then all of a sudden that becomes our truth. And we start going, yeah, maybe, maybe it is a fluke. Now that's whether you're a man or a woman or, you know, whatever. So I think, one of the biggest tools about imposter syndrome is to just raise that awareness that this is a natural and normal thing that happens. We kind of question ourselves as soon as we're, you know, reaching that next level, the light's just a little bit brighter on us. And so we can talk about that earlier in life, but often our successes are not accumulative to where we're now moving to that next echelon or that next promotion or that next bright light being shined on us that um, we might not feel it for a little while. And the story I tell in the book is about um, someone I was mentoring. This is, you know, about 
10, 12 years ago, we were having a lunch meeting. And at that time, she was a recent college graduate and I was assigned to her as a mentor. So we were getting to know each other. And when we would have lunch and talk about different things, I was learning about imposter syndrome. And so I brought it up once, you know, at a lunch. I just said, I'm curious, you know, have you heard of this? And what's your thought on it? Not necessarily because I thought she was experiencing it. I just, I was literally curious about talking about it. And she was um, polite, you know, and she said, oh, that's kind of interesting. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've ever felt that way. And I just kind of, you know, shook it off like, okay, moving on next topic, right? Fast forward um, about five years, six years later, she had gone to another company. I had gone to another company, but we kept in touch on LinkedIn. And all of a sudden I get this message pop up on LinkedIn and she says, um, Hey, you know, I remember our deep conversations when we were mentored, you know, paired up as mentor and mentee. And, um, do you remember one day we were talking about this thing and she said it was imposter syndrome. I remember we were sitting in the cafeteria and I said, yeah, I do. I remember that. Yeah. And she said, at the time, I really kind of thought it was interesting, but not something that was relevant for me or my generation. And she said, but I just started this new job and I just made director. And I went out and I found an article about this and I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't take you up on the offer to talk about it right then because I am in it. I am feeling it. And what is happening? Like, can I, can I ask for some mentoring help right now? And um, so it's so uh, interesting to me, right? Like, is it generational? Is it an accumulation of your successes? Is it, I always say people care when they care, right? All of a sudden it's something that's really relevant to me right now. So I think it's about keeping the door open, right? When we experience it, just knowing that it's normal. It is not actually a moral failure on your part. So now let's get really curious about what we need to do um, to make sense of it. Well, I, I mean, I love the story because I think that's, I mean, I can completely relate. It was like the first time I started hearing about it, I was like, that's what it's been, or that's <laughs> what it was, or that's what I was experiencing. And I think what I do love your framework. And I think, of course, you know, we'll share with everyone where they can find you, find your book and so forth by the time we get through the end of the end of the podcast. But um, what can somebody do right now? I understand the awareness piece of it, but I'm just thinking about maybe there's someone who maybe doesn't have that kind of support system around them, or they don't have somebody that they could really talk around this in a really open way. Like what, what are some of the things that they could do right now? Yeah. I think one of the very first things that you can do is in that moment, when something pops up for you, like you're about to give a big presentation and you think, okay, I'm getting ready to present this and a voice comes out of nowhere. We don't know why we even hear this, but the voice comes out of nowhere and it says, wait a minute, who do you think you are? Like, do you really know what you're talking about? And what if somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer? Or what if somebody, you know, does a gotcha moment and it totally derails me and we get in our head, right? The only way to stop that negative sort of rumination about what could possibly go wrong and how you're not good enough is to literally hit pause. And so you have to have whatever your virtual pause button is in your mind to say, wait a minute, what if that's not true? 
What if that's actually not what's going to happen? And so I always coach people, once you have awareness, now you hear that voice. Because that's the first thing. I mean, how much do we go through life? We didn't even notice that that voice was talking to us. But now we know. Now we hear it. Is to do the exact opposite. So the voice goes, who do you think you are? Why do you think you're an authority on this topic? It's like, pause. What's another possibility? What's the opposite of that? I have a unique perspective on this topic. And I have done my work. I do know my stuff. Am I perfect? Do I know everything? No. Right. And it kind of shuts that voice down in the moment. But if we don't do that, our brains look for data points to support what we're thinking in the moment. So if our brain in the moment is thinking you're not good enough, you might not know all the facts and figures and somebody's going to catch you off guard. Now we're looking for data points. We're scanning for data points that tell us that we're right. And we're saying things like, Oh my gosh, I got that question and I didn't know the answer. I think what is going to really happen here for people is that if they don't have the the wherewithal to hit pause and ask themselves a different question, they'll just keep going down that cycle. And I call it the um, the rumination wheel of authorization. And we will tell ourselves what's going to go wrong. Another thing that people can do is they can actually build up their personal board of directors because right now they might feel like they're all by themselves. They might feel like they're in it alone. But if we're really mindful about building up a personal board of directors, think of it as any other company has someone on their board that looks out for their finances, looks out for risk, looks out for, right, fill in the blank, whatever the business needs. Well, in this case, you are the business and you're surrounding yourself with people that have different perspectives on you that see you in different situations and different scenarios, and they can play back to you the truth, not what our brain is telling us, but the truth of what they see, your strengths, your areas of development, like all of it. But it's not the, it's not the story that we make up in our brain. It's a more accurate reflection back to us. And so having like spending the time and investing in building a personal board of directors is a huge support network to be able to go and ask for that help. Like I have someone on my board that's my tough love person. They're the person I call when I know I'm just sort of hanging out in victim mode and I will call her up and she'll be like, okay, Teresa, so I heard you say what you're saying. And uh, when are you going to get off the dime on that? Because you know, that's not true. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not what I wanted to hear, but it's exactly what I needed to hear. And then I have someone else that's my cheerleader, right? They're the person Mm. that I call and they're like, but you're amazing and you're awesome. And sometimes that's what I need to hear too, right? And all of it's true. All of it's accurate. We just need to take back the power to allow ourselves to see all the different facets that we have, because it's not about being perfect. It is about being very dynamic and uh, and super messy and not perfect, you know, but ho- having someone that can play that back to us is huge. It's a huge gift in making sure that we see clearly what's really happening in the moment. Well, I, well, I echo that. I love that hundred percent because I even talked about that in my own book start with the give me shots. If you don't know what your give me shot is, and some people don't, I mean, they've been so far removed. They don't know what it is. It's like, go to people you trust and say, you see me do things. What are the things that you think I'm really good at? And so I, I love that reflective piece of it. Um, I, 
we could go into all kinds of things. And I, but I really wanted people to be able to hear this piece of it. Cause that's why I found your book so powerful. The fact that you have been studying it for so many years and where you saw it show up, but the fact that you took the time and energy to help people make sense of it and do something about it. So I really, I mean, I can't highlight your book enough. I've shared it with so many people. I'm so glad that people are going to be able to hear a little bit from you. But what I would love to do before we close out and you can share more about how people can get in touch with you and some other things is I always ask everyone about sharing a lesson for life from their own life. And I would just love for you to take a few moments and just share one of your own with the audience. Yeah, I I think it's um, this kind of tunes in a little bit to our own tapping into our own power and trusting our intuition, trusting that we're enough, um, that, you know, life isn't just a series of charities and that's how we got here. It's like, we have really been able to create our lives for ourselves and not chalking it up or giving that power away to something else. It's not, there isn't luck in life. Of course, there's luck in life to some extent, but most things in our life are not luck, but we might give that power away. And so there's there's this quote that I just have always loved. It's, we are who we've been waiting for. And if you believe that, it's like, no one's coming to be the hero. Like we get to be the hero of our own story. We get to be the one that says, I actually want to go left instead of right. And the thing that gets me so fired up about imposter syndrome is it prevents people from doing the really big thing that they love and often sharing their talent, their superpower, their gift with other people. And it's just so sad because they're not realizing it for themselves and creating that joy and taking a bet on themselves. And think of all the people that don't get to benefit from hearing their message, getting that gift receiving that knowledge from someone. So, you know, when I was like, is it a book? Am I writing a book? What am I doing here? You know, I'm taking down all these lessons. I'm writing all these stories. Is it just going to be like something that sits on my shelf? And I had my own imposter syndrome about writing a book about imposter syndrome. Like, who am I? Do I know what I'm right? And, and then you go, wait, we are who we've been waiting for. When I sat there and I said, I'm so frustrated that there isn't a resource for people when they realize, hey, I'm suffering now, what do I do? And I thought, well, I'm who I've been waiting for. Like, let me write this book. Let me share, like, who am I to keep all this knowledge typed up on a Word document stored on a laptop, right? So am I the only person that's ever talked about imposter syndrome? No. Did I invent this term? No. But I have a unique perspective. I have a unique set of experiences. And I've been given the gift of so much wisdom from people that I've coached. And my superpower is I connect dots. So I can take a theory, I can read something and I can observe something else over here. And I can all of a sudden connect that dot in a way that is like a light bulb goes on and it's meaningful. And that is something I'm good at. And so like, let that shine, right? We are who we've been waiting for. I love it. I'm so glad that you wrote the book. I'm so glad that You've Thank taken you. the time to do it. I mean, you and I have been able to, fortunate enough to work for a little bit of a period together in corporate America, but um, just having uh, 
experience and being able to take some tidbits from your book, a ton from your book actually has just been great. So I'm so glad that you got to that point. So, well, thank you. Thank you. I feel the same. Well, and I want people to be able to find you and I want people to get in touch with you. So is there, do you have anything coming up? How can people get in touch with you? I would just love for you to share with the audience. Yeah. I mean, there's always social media, right? You know, so people can find me on LinkedIn under Teresa Sandy. Um, My website is teresasandy.com. So pretty easy. Um, The one thing I'll say is there's no H in Teresa and there's no Y in Sandy. Um, So you'll see all of that Um, on Instagram. My Instagram handle is fierce, not fears. So that allows people to just tap into, this is all about finding our fears. It's not about shying away and being fearful about what could go wrong. It's all about what could go right. So find me on Instagram and that's where I usually will post or publicize any upcoming speaking events that I have, any workshops that I'm offering. Um, I do one-on-one coaching and consulting with organizations as well. And so, um, yeah, it's pretty broad uh, because so much of what I do is also in the business world or the corporate environment. LinkedIn, always a great place to find me on LinkedIn. Love broadening my network and would love to connect with any of your listeners. And lastly, if people would like to just uh, very quickly get connected, they can text the word FIERCE to 66866 and that will automatically connect them onto my mailing list and then they can get updates and stuff that's so easy peasy, you know, if uh, lots of options for how to connect with me. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and wisdom and everything that you've learned around this. Um, I personally just, you know, needed some of the reminders when I read your book and I love that people are going to be able to hear from you in my audience. So thank you so much for joining me, Teresa. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.